Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I'm Bridget, your host and founder of Raising Healthy Eaters. This is episode two of our 10-episode series on the do's and don'ts of feeding kids, and we are going to talk about the first don't and why it's so important that we avoid doing it. If you're experiencing mealtime battles or you have a picky eater, this is a good one for you because avoiding this one pitfall can make a huge difference in the mealtime experience. In the last episode, we talked about the jobs that you and your kids have when it comes to eating. So you each have three jobs. And in order for that system to really work, we need to make sure we're creating a positive mealtime environment. And one way we can do this is by removing any pressure being applied to our kids while they're eating. Now, some of you might be thinking, pressure? I don't pressure my kid to eat. But let me ask you this. Have you ever encouraged your child to take a try-it bite? If so, that's pressure. And it takes on a lot of different forms that I'm going to share with you today But first, let me explain a little more about what pressure is in the context of eating. So when we talk about pressure during mealtimes, it's a force we apply in an effort to get our child to eat. And I think most of us have tried to pressure our kids into eating something. Don't feel bad if you have. I have too. The thing about pressure is it comes from a place of good intentions. You really want your child to be healthy and not go hungry, right? Not to mention this intense pressure that we feel as parents to have a good eater and the judgment we receive when somebody notices our child's picky or selective eating. These two factors, our own worry and anxieties, and the cultural expectations around feeding kids often lead us to use pressure. But pressure always backfires. Let me give you a few examples and see if you can relate. A family I was working with had a micro preemie. And this was a little guy who was born months before his due date. And as a result, was very small in size and had a lot of catching up to do with his growth but he always ate really small portions, and this worried his parents quite a bit. So during meals, they would do things like asking him to have just three more bites or, you know, can you please finish everything we gave you? Now, similarly, I had a little girl I worked with who didn't like the texture of meat, and that's not uncommon for toddlers and younger children. Her mom was really concerned that she wasn't getting enough protein and would always ask the little girl to please eat her chicken or try a bite of the taco meat. Now, in both cases, the parents just wanted their children to eat enough, right? Enough of anything or enough of a specific thing. And in both cases, the result was the children actually ate less. And for the little girl, she actually was in a place when I started working with them where she would avoid any and all meat that was served to her. The opposite happens too, though. Many families I've worked with wanted their children to eat less junk food and would try to prevent their children from eating too much. For example, they might put out a plate of cookies after a meal and tell the child, you can only have two. 
and the child will have their two cookies and then they're just sitting there with that plate of cookies staring at them. Or if cake was being served at a birthday party, maybe the size of the slice would be limited. And I will admit that I have limited the amount of cookies my kids can have. And I do catch myself and I tell myself I need to stop that. So my point is, none of us are perfect. I'll allude back to our first official episode when I talked about what I know being at odds with how I feel, right? And so that's something I still struggle with. So don't feel bad if you find yourself doing any of the things I'm talking about today because I know how hard it can be to not do them. Now, as far as limiting food goes, I've also observed that during regular meals as well. So for instance, I've seen kiddos ask for seconds or even thirds of the pasta served for dinner, but they weren't allowed because the parents wanted them to eat the veggies that were served with the meal too. So what happens when we try to limit how much of a food a child has, they end up wanting more. And sometimes they become very obsessive about it. So you might have a kiddo who continuously pesters you for candy or dessert or pasta, or whatever that food that's being limited is. And so in these examples, you can see that pressure can be exerted in a number of ways, and it can be either positive or negative. And I want to run through the different types of pressure just to create an awareness of how they show up. I'll start with negative pressure because it's a lot easier to spot. I've got 10 ways that negative pressure can present itself. The first is force feeding, and that is literally putting food in a child's mouth. And this is probably the worst form of negative pressure because it is very intrusive and traumatizing for a child. The second form of negative pressure is restriction. Now, I just gave a few examples on that, but basically it's putting limits on how much of a food your child can eat, and this is any food. And this prevents them from doing their job of deciding how much to eat. The third form of negative pressure is coaxing, which is persistently trying to convince your child to eat something. So, you know, hey, okay, can you just have a bite of the broccoli? Oh, look, you, you still haven't tried your broccoli. So just those constant little gentle reminders, but they're very persistent. That's coaxing. Now, the fourth and fifth forms of negative pressure often are found together, but not always. So number four is threats. And this is telling a child that they need to eat whatever or something is going to happen, right? So you need to eat your salad or else. And it can just exist as a threat or it can be followed up with the fifth form of negative pressure, which is punishment. And with punishment, some sort of disciplinary action is being used if the child doesn't eat or doesn't eat in the expected way. A lot of what I've observed is children losing TV and electronics or even their favorite toys as a punishment. Shame is the sixth form of negative pressure. And with this form, the child endures a guilt trip, so to speak, for not eating enough of something specific or for being a quote-unquote bad eater. I've heard things said like, I'm really disappointed that you didn't eat your breakfast. You're never going to be healthy if you keep this up. So that's an example of shame. 
Then we have criticism. And this would sound something like, you used to be such a good eater. I don't know what happened. Why don't you like anything anymore? Oh, it's so hard to feed you these days. And then we move on to begging where parents are pleading with their child to get them to eat something. So it might sound something like, please, please eat the fruit salad. Can you take just a bite, one little bite for me? Please, it would make me so happy. All right, and then we have withholding. And this can be withholding either dessert or fun activities. So basically, it's, it's a condition. If you eat everything on your plate, then you can have a popsicle. But if you don't do those things, you can't have the yummy treat. If you don't eat this, you can't go do this fun thing on Saturday that we were planning. And then our 10th and final form of negative pressure is making the child stay at the table until they are done or until they have eaten everything on their plate. You've probably heard this referred to as the clean plate club. And I think a lot of us were members, unwilling members, I'll say, of the clean your plate club as children ourselves. I know I certainly had that experience mostly at my grandparents' house when we would go for Sunday dinners. We were expected to sit at the table until we ate everything on our plates, even if we sat there for hours after the meal was over. And let me tell you, we found some very sneaky ways to be done with our food, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so kids will make it disappear. But that doesn't mean you need to keep a closer eye on them. That just means we need to be aware of whether or not we are using this technique on our own children. So again, making a child stay at the table until they're done is the 10th and final form of pressure that we see, or at least negative pressure that we see used at mealtimes. Negative pressure is harmful because it makes the eating environment feel very stressful for a child. And it can also make that environment feel unsafe, which can close the door to an enjoyable eating experience. It also communicates the message, I don't trust you to eat well. So the use of pressure, whether it be negative or positive pressure, can cause a lot of harm to the feeding experience for a child. And we can see some feeding problems pop up when negative pressure has been used. So now I want to switch gears and look at the forms of positive pressure. Positive pressure is a lot harder to spot because it's positive. It's a positive approach. We feel like we're doing a good job because we're being positive about it, but it actually has the same effect as the negative pressure. When we are talking about positive pressure, it is the kind that takes the form of praise, recognition, applause, etc., etc. Now, the problem here is that when we use these forms of pressure, we're usually celebrating the wrong thing. And so let me give you a few examples of how this would sound. Great job eating all of your dinner. Or, I'm so proud of you for eating your broccoli. Another one you might hear Look, everyone, Oliver ate his hummus. Woohoo! So, other forms of positive pressure are bribing and rewarding, which can go hand in hand. And with these, 
basically the child is being promised a gift or reward if a specific condition is met, like eating all of the veggies. And this is one I'm going to cover in the next episode. So I'm just going to move on to a few other types of positive pressure in this one. Okay, so we have reminders. And reminders would be something like, hey, sweetie, you have some chicken left to eat. Or I still see some corn on your plate. So just those little reminders of, look, there's something there that you haven't touched yet. The second one is making games out of eating. And again, this is a hard one to spot and to stop doing it because it feels so fun and positive. But this would be something like, I bet I can eat my lasagna faster than you can. And you make a race out of it. Reverse psychology is another form of positive pressure. So you kind of jokingly tell your kid, whoa, you better not eat those tomatoes. I wouldn't do it. Don't you? This tactic is often used with toddlers because it turns meal into a game and it kind of plays on the toddler's development of autonomy and independence. It plays on their need to be making their own decisions. And so usually they'll end up eating. Again, I'm not saying go use these. I'm just wanting you to be aware of these forms of pressure that we use. And I will admit I am guilty of using the reverse psychology recently, actually, with my toddler. And I have caught myself and told myself, you really need to stop doing this. So I'm working on that one. Another form of positive pressure is using nutrition and health to persuade a child to eat which in my experience tends to be used with older children. So you might say something like, you really need calcium for strong bones, so it's important to eat your yogurt. Or if you're going to be the best soccer player on the team, you need to eat more protein. And the final way that positive pressure shows up can be in talking about how good or delicious a food is. Something like, mm, mommy, this casserole is really delicious. I've never tasted anything so good. Have you? Again, this can come from either parent, but really talking up a food. And kids do perceive this as pressure. But what you'll notice with each of these forms of positive pressure is the focus is always on the eating itself. And if you recall from the last episode, the decision to eat is the child's job. So we really need to detach ourselves from that outcome of them choosing to eat or how much they eat. And becoming aware of these pressures and how they play out at the table is really important because then we can catch ourselves and we can stop doing it. It's not something that you'll just be able to stop cold turkey. But again, if you've got that awareness, it's something that over time you can work on reducing until it's no longer being used. Now, the reason I am talking about pressure today and wanted to tell you all of the forms that can show up is because pressure really wreaks havoc on the mealtime environment, the relationship between you and your child, your child's mealtime experience, and their relationship with food over time. The research has shown that when pressure tactics are used, kids will either eat too little or too much, and they often report mealtimes as being 
quite unpleasant. They might be more selective with their eating, so they can end up developing some attributes of picky eating. And they might stop listening to their body's signals of hunger and fullness and have difficulty regulating their own appetite, which could lead to weight problems down the road. Further, kiddos who have experienced pressure pretty consistently during mealtimes tend to develop problematic eating behaviors as adolescents, like hoarding or sneaking food, stress eating, or even restricting their own intake. All right, so now you know how pressure shows up. But how do you know if your child is feeling pressured around food? So here are a couple of things you can look for. First, if you find yourself attached to an unspoken outcome for your child's eating, like having them eat a specific amount or try something new, and you're working to achieve that goal, your child might be feeling pressured. On that same note, if you are experiencing a negative feeling, like that anxiety or that concern or that worry for your child, and you're trying to resolve that feeling, you're wanting to feel better about how your child is eating, your child might be feeling pressured. But let me clarify something. It's not the unspoken outcome and it's not the negative feeling itself that's the problem. Acting upon it is because the only action we can take in these scenarios to achieve the outcome or feel better is to use pressure. So that is the first thing is really looking at yourself and seeing if there's a goal you're hoping to achieve or you're wanting your child to achieve with the meal or if you're looking to resolve that worry and concern that you're feeling about your child's eating. The second thing you can look for to know if your child is feeling pressured around food is if during a meal they suddenly become quiet or withdrawn upset, leave the table, or just want to be done, start eating slowly, or lose interest in their food, if they suddenly are in a bad mood, or just don't want to eat. And frankly, what you might feel as well is that not only will your child be feeling anxiety and stress, but you will too. Those are big signals to listen to. And the best thing to do when you notice these is just to stop pressuring and try to avoid pressuring a child to eat at every meal. This, I know, is a sensitive topic because, again, we're often dealing with a lot of those feelings that pop up when we're feeding our kids that can be really difficult to handle as the parent, as the caregiver. I want to remind you all that while culture attaches our value as parents to how well our kids eat, you don't need to get your kids to eat in order to be a good parent. And anyone who makes you feel that way is wrong. All you need to do is support your child's decisions of how they are going to do their mealtime jobs. Now, if you suspect there might be a problem and it's more complex than just taking the pressure off, then I encourage you to talk to your pediatrician 
If you are a member of Raising Healthy Eaters, let me know because one thing we like to do is help families and parents know when might be a good time to see a provider, when there might be a problem. That is it for today. If you guys have any questions about this topic or requests for another, send them to me on Instagram or Facebook at Healthy Eaters Official. If what we talked about today is a pain point for you and you're feeling like you need more help to solve a feeding problem and create a positive, enjoyable mealtime environment for you and your family, visit our website and consider joining us. I'm here to help parents find strategies that work for their own unique families and provide support on their journey to a better feeding relationship with their kids. So thank you so much for tuning in to Raising Healthy Eaters, the podcast. I will see you back here next time. Have a great day.